Hi everybody. Good, Good morning. Welcome, Welcome to, to the Washington, Washington Ethical Society. Society. I'm Rajesh Vidyasaga, and my pronouns are he, him. Welcome, and uh, Wes is one community unified across time and space, gathering for these Sunday platforms to affirm our values and commit to a better world. So I want to welcome those of you who are here in the hall, but also those of you who are watching on Zoom, and those who are going to catch up with the recording later. If you're on Zoom, please check the chat for a welcome and various tips from Peter Bishop, uh, Peter Baker, sorry, who's today. Paul Baker, sorry. Um, today's uh, Zoom chat, Asha. Uh, if you're here in the hall and would like an assistive assistive li uh, listening device, please ask the sound team at the back. If you're visiting here in person, please stop by the welcome table after platform today and speak to a greeter or to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas. Those of you who are visiting online uh, now or later, we invite you to send an email to Maceo uh, at maceot, M-A-C-E-O-T, at ethicalsociety.org or to fill out a connection form, which you can find at tiny.cc forward slash westconnects. And now read a few of the greetings that people who are online have written into the Zoom chat. Uh, let's give me a second. Here we are. Lots of good mornings from... Donna Taylor, Mark Meyer, Lorraine, Pat McNeely, um, Lara Desculio, Cynthia Goodman, Sarah Morris, Shirley Storms, Catherine, um, I don't not sure which Catherine this is, but there's an annoying echo in the Zoom audio. It needs to be... Uh, okay. All right, that kind of takes care of the initial hellos. It is good to connect uh, and to share this time together. The opening words for this morning are found in Singing the Living Tradition. Title is to risk. To laugh is to risk appearing the fool. To weep is to risk appearing sentimental. To reach out for another is to risk exposing our true self. To place our ideals, dreams before the crowd is to risk loss. To love is to risk not being loved in return. To hope is to risk despair. To try is to risk failure. And to live is to risk dying. 
Today's opening song, Where You're Really Going, is by Art Sieben's voice and guitar. Um, as I mentioned uh, in my introduction to my trucking song, Backing Up, a few weeks ago, my parents were both professionals. I drove trucks mainly as a summer job to learn hands-on what blue-collar life was like. I mainly worked as a furniture mover, so went to different places and met lots of different people. I wrote this song, Where You're Really Going, in 1975, when I was just starting a PhD program in physiology at George Washington University and was reflecting back on my days as a mover. For the record, I worked as a PhD lab scientist uh, until I was 38 and then became a high school biology teacher. Of 
up at the diesel's roar Out where your beauty goes And can cry up at the diesel's roar Out where your Thank you, Art. It's always wonderful to have our members uh, doing the music and, and the chorus as well. Uh, each week we read the Statement of Purpose as a reminder of our shared values. If you're interested in taking a turn to read the Statement of Purpose, you can sign up um, at uh, tiny.cc forward slash read SOP. Uh, you can read it here in person or make a recording that will be included in a future platform. The reader today will be Roberta Geyer. Um, the Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With the faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We warmly invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a, a world where love and justice cross all borders. As um, Roberta lights our community candle, I invite those of you with candles at home to light yours and for everyone to join in our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. So since it is our stewardship season, we have been having special guests come up every week to give their, uh, what I'm calling, testimonials. <laughs> testimonials about why Wes is so important to them. And we have some extra special guests today. Uh, students from our SEEK classes will be coming up right now to share with you some of what they love about Wes. You also will find on your seat today a note card uh, you will not find a pen, uh, my apologies, uh, but if you happen to have a pen, a pencil, or can find one later, we invite you to write something you love about Wes on that card, and you'll find hearts out on the table in the hall that will say, well, they'll say all the things that you put on there. So we're going to fill these hearts up with our love for Wes, just like we fill up uh, our bank account in the ways that it needs to be filled up and our volunteer roles in the way that they need to be filled up. So now, some special guests. Good morning, everyone. 
I'm Indara. I'm the Seek uh, Seek Coordinator. I have with me Ash Dimian and Elise Dimian from the pre-K through fifth grade cohort, and they're going to share their testimonials. Um, what I wrote a few weeks ago in Seek was, West means friendships and friends, lots of fun times and serious ones too, love and care, events in motion, being one with the group and a group with the one, and West is super fun. West means you can make new friends and have fun, and you get to be part of the community by playing in plays like Stone Soup. I have one last testimonial from a student who's not present today. His name is Julian, and he wrote, I like that West brings people together, and I like that you get to play. Thank you so much. I'm so, so glad that you were able to share with us today. In lieu of a Time for All Ages story today, I should have sent the slide artists a meme that I've been thinking about. I will instead send it to the email list later. We will all bear with me as I have a strange week while my wife is out of town. We know how that goes. Um, so there's a meme that's been going around that is an image of a Garfield plush, brand new, sparkly, shiny, and then next to it, an image of a Garfield plush that has been well-loved. It is squished down, its fur is much less shiny and pristine, its body shape is different, and it says, to be loved is to be changed. When I think about vulnerability and what vulnerability looks like, part of it is letting yourself be changed by love. Part of it is letting yourself show up as your less perfect, slightly more squished self. So today I invite all of us to think about something or someone that we have loved that has been changed by our love and someone who has loved us who has changed us. Thank you. Let us enter now uh, into the centering time of the platform. <clears throat> Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I'm particularly mindful of the thousands of American soldiers and tens of thousands of Iraqis who lost their lives in the Iraq war and its aftermath starting 20 years ago. As we listen to the chime, let's remember our connection to each other and the world around us.
Let us open our hearts to compassion for those who suffer. And let us commit ourselves to the work that calls for our love. I invite you now into a time of meditation, a time to be still and to reflect. Relax, ground yourself physically and close your eyes or soften your gaze as comfortable. Take a deep breath in and out. In and out. Spring is here. All around us we see plants springing up, flowers are opening, impossibly green leaves are bursting forth. And yet it's a time of great vulnerability. There's no certainty that spring will unfold smoothly, that there may not be a sudden frosty snap or a rainstorm. The little buds will continue nevertheless to open up and flower, allowing their vulnerability to bring growth and fulfillment of their purpose. So it is with us. Let's reflect on the vulnerability that makes growth possible. Let's also reflect that without vulnerability, there are no deep relationships. Breathe in and breathe out. We continue our meditation in silence and the music that follows.
Thank you so much, Carl. That was great. Thank you. Thank you very much. The reading for today is uh, by Elizabeth Nguyen, Show Up Hungry. I got off work at 7 p.m. and did the thing where you chase the bus a little bit but then realize you won't make it and walk sheepishly back to the bus stop. I'm already an hour late to Sunday night singing at the Lucy Stone Cooperative, a UU affordable housing co-op in Boston. I'm still ambivalent. I could go home to Netflix and grilled cheese. I could choose predictability and warm carbs. Or I could get on the bus to this community where I was first a member of the planning team and now a board member. This place where, despite my leadership role, I still find myself questioning whether and how I belong. I give myself a little pep talk, reminding myself that I'm allowed to show up late and hungry and in need of a song. Reminding myself that being in community means offering care and being cared for, bringing my shiny self and my not-so-shiny self. When I arrive, there's a teapot of hot water and a plate of fat dates on the table. A friend presses a bowl into my hands and there's broccoli soup. We sing Amazing Grace, the wonders of accepting love have made me whole and real. Community is covenant. It's the promise of a bowl of soup and a song at the end of the day. It's love in the form of a house on Moreland Street that has said that it doesn't matter that I don't live there, that I too am welcome on Sunday nights. Laid bare, it is the sucker and accountability of doing that thing together that we cannot do alone. I've not always been my best self in the communities I've loved. I've shirked dish duty for Lucy Stone and missed weddings in my hometown. I've dropped out when I was needed and showed up full of pettiness and exhaustion. The wonder of accepting love is only made evident when we are allowed to shed the, sh the shiny and let the sourness show. Our communities of spirit are only real because we show up late expecting to be fed because we both give and get, because we bring our tart and our sweet, our gifts and our struggles. We need lemon in the lentils, rice vinegar in the sushi, a squeeze of lime in the shalada, and some acid in our communities. Without it, our communities are superficial. With no acid, we are one note, monotone. Our vulnerabilities, our bits of brokenness, bring life to our relationships. We're part of community when we show up shiny and not so shiny. When we ladle soup into each other's bowls and eat it eagerly. When we bring our sour and our sweet. When we shed the shiny and show up hungry. Today's speaker is KC.
Thank you, Ritesh. I want to tell you a secret. I hate being vulnerable. Maybe that's not much of a secret. Perhaps you've gleaned that from your work with me. If you are, for example, a member of the transition team, you have heard me respond to the question, how can we help with, I do not know. I do not know because I am not used to asking for help. I'm not used to it being okay for me to ask for help. I'll tell you a story. I skipped fifth grade. That is a weird choice. I do not recommend it. Fifth grade is a year that is almost entirely about socialization into teenagedom. You go from fourth grade to sixth grade, you miss some really vital social learning, even if the learning learning that you miss isn't that big of a deal. I went to a Montessori school until I was in fourth grade, and then, for a variety of relatively dramatic reasons, could not go there anymore. But leaving in fourth grade was just a slight speeding up of what was going to be a problem anyway. That school only went to fifth grade. I left Montessori school 10 years old and arrived in sixth grade in public school in my small town in one of the bottom half of Ohio's public school districts, 10 years old. In between, my parents took me to Europe. This was also a strange choice, which will become relevant to the story here in a second. I was not used to having to sit at a desk in rows, to being told what I was going to learn when. I wasn't used to moving from classroom to classroom, except for to go to gym or a language class. I didn't know how to be a public school student at all. And a lot of my teachers were, well, pretty angry that my parents had been allowed to skip me a grade. That anger never should have become my problem, but it certainly did. And one of the ways that that looked was, I was in sixth grade in my English class, and the teacher gave us directions that made no sense to me. Fold your paper in half hot dog style. How do you fold a hot dog? What does this paper have to do with I don't understand? She explained to me that that meant to fold it in half lengthwise rather than right, this way rather than this way so that it was long instead of short. Oh, okay, sure. The other way I learned eventually was called hamburger style. All of this baffling to me. But at no point was I more confused than at the point that I was told to write items in a column. in a column, I asked, to which my teacher, an adult, responded to me, a 10-year-old, aren't you supposed to be smart? Weren't you just in Europe? How do you not know what a column is? To which I said, 
A column is either something in a newspaper or a three-dimensional object. How do I write in a column? She meant make a list. She could have said, make a list. Instead, in front of my classmates, who already were not too fond of me, she said, aren't you supposed to be smart? This was something that would be repeated to me at home and at school for the next decade or so of my life. Aren't you supposed to be smart? Why can't you figure out how to do this on your own? Yeah. <laughs> Intense self-reliance, inability to ask for help, that's a trauma response. And it's not one that I'm alone in having. You don't have to be able to pick out moments where people told you that not knowing and asking for help wasn't okay to have received that message. So much of the narrative of this country is about individuals who do things without help as if that is anyone for real. As if there are any of us who were not cared for as babies, who did not begin life fundamentally in need of other people. As though we go through life without continued need for other people and for agreements among ourselves. You can see what over-dependence on independence leads to if you look at a small town in Vermont that was founded with the idea that they did not need government. What happened in this small town is that the bears took over. The actual physical rar bears, not the metaphorical gay ones. Um, Because if you make no agreements about how you're going to share in getting rid of your garbage, for example, well, that becomes a really tempting place for a bunch of hungry bears whose land you have moved into. These people learned, to their own significant chagrin, that bears can open car doors, that bears can open house doors. You need other people, if only to all agree that the garbage needs to go somewhere that the bears can't get it. So that you do not wind up with a bear inside your home or inside your car. We all are actually constantly in need of one another, but it is really hard to need people. It is really hard because we think we're supposed to be able to do it on our own. Because we're given these stories about people, often men, but people, who do it totally on their own, who have bright, shiny ideas that they have created for themselves in a vacuum. How many of us are familiar with Henry David Thoreau? How many of us are familiar with Walden Pond? How many of us know that his mother did his laundry and brought him sandwiches while he was there? Okay, so we have this brilliant thinker writing about self-reliance. 
while his wife and mother bring him sandwiches and do his laundry. We have generations of philosophers doing phenomenology, for example, turning to the writing desk and thinking about what it means to experience aliveness. Forgetting that their entire ability to focus on their writing desk is made out of somebody else in the background, cooking and cleaning and providing them with paper. That their ability to focus on these things is because of the, usually, women and people of color standing behind them, doing the unsexy, unglamorous, basic work of wash a dish, wash some clothes, make food happen. I am stunningly aware of this currently as my own wife is out of town. It occurred to me as I loaded the laundry yesterday that I have not done a load of my own laundry in years. I am not proud of that. That is the division of labor we've agreed on. And I can acknowledge that. I can say, you know what, most of the time I am able to focus on the big work of having something to say to you on Sunday morning, of making this organization kind of sort of run, I'm trying, of dealing with two separate national bodies, both of which require a lot of my attention. And I am able to do that because most of the time I don't have to think about getting my own clothes clean. And most of the time, if I can't make a food decision, I can pass that off to someone else. One thing I want to tell you before I get into the rest of this is that this kind of work, clergy, leadership, ministry, whatever you want to call it, is still built as though someone has a stay-at-home wife. I'm saying wife in particular because the role of wife still exists in the world as defined by doing domestic chores. The role of clergy person relies on the idea that there could be someone else to help take care of you. I am really lucky to be able to mostly afford my and Caitlin's life so that Caitlin only needs to have little jobs, can spend most of their time helping me be a person. I just need you to know that. It is really hard to be vulnerable, to show up as an imperfect person. I do not love telling you how hard it is for me to have my wife be on the other side of the country for a week. It is hard to show people the places where we are soft. We run around acting like we are turtles, like we have shells and can hide from each other. When in reality, this is much more of a slug situation. Right? I don't have a shell. If you pour salt on me, that's going to suck real hard. I will not enjoy it. Being vulnerable is a fundamental fact of being a person. Being vulnerable is often a necessary step to transformation. And I'm going to contend here after my own expressions of distaste 
for vulnerability. Being vulnerable is actually really fun sometimes. That's a complicated set of things to hold together, huh? Right? Very difficult, very important, also fun. Judith Butler writes in my favorite of her works, Precarious Life, a book that is all about vulnerability. Let's face it, we are undone by each other. And if we're not, we're missing something. This seems so clearly the case with grief, but it can be so only because it was already the case with desire. One does not always stay intact. One may want to or manage to for a while, but despite one's best efforts, one is undone in the face of the other by the touch, by the scent, by the feel, by the prospect of the touch, by the memory of the feel. We are fundamentally undone and undoable by one another. One of Butler's wider points in this work is actually about our collective selves rather than our individual selves. In Precarious Life, she is working through the American response to 9-11 in the context of vulnerability and violence. Because one of the ways that people can respond to the realization of their own vulnerability is violence. One of the ways that you can see the American population, the American government, responding to fundamental vulnerability is with violence. That is extremely clear in the context of 9-11 for me. There was this large breaking moment where we all knew abruptly, if we had not known before, that we too are susceptible to violence, that death and disaster can come to us as well. And though there was a moment where it seemed like our response would be to grow, to think about how that violence had come to be, it was a very brief moment. It's a very brief moment before we turned our pain into violence against other people. Before we exported our fear onto other bodies. You can watch on a longer scale the same thing happening with COVID. <laughs> you can watch on a longer scale the same thing happening with COVID. There we get a longer moment of care for community, right? We get a year, a year and a half, we get far enough to get vaccinated. Before people start really hard turning on vulnerable people, right? On people who say, I am still unsafe. I am still not well. It's a different kind of violence, one less obvious in the world, one a little less forceful. There are fewer guns involved. 
But it's still one with a body toll, right? Still a violence with a death count. A preference of comfort over safety. These are different things. We are undone by one another. We are fundamentally vulnerable to one another, not just bodily, but emotionally, right? The second you allow someone in, even a little bit, it can feel like now they have something on you. It gets scary to say that you don't know how to do something or that you need help with something because once you need help, someone can throw that back in your face. And the chances that you have in the course of your life had someone throw your need or help your fundamental vulnerability back in your face are really high. So that is a normal way that people behave. It is not a good way that people behave, but it is a normal one. Butler writes, to be injured means that one has the chance to reflect upon injury, to find out the mechanisms of its distribution, to find out who else suffers from permeable borders, unexpected violence, dispossession, and fear, and in what ways. The experience of vulnerability, of injury or anticipation of injury, can be an opportunity for connection, can be an opening of possibility, if we don't respond to it by refusing to accept our own vulnerability. This might look like you are someone who regularly has opinions that people agree with. That is a norm in your life. And you are told, abruptly, that you have done something wrong, that you have hurt someone. You have some options about how you can reply. One of them is, no, I didn't. That is a reply that is violent. A reply that insists that your pattern of being right is more important than somebody else's experience of harm. That your understanding of yourself as not harmful is more important to you than not being harmful. Right? You are an idea that you have, and if your idea of you is so identified with being the most right, then the second it is suggested that you might not be, it can become very easy and very compelling to insist that you are not wrong, that other people are simply too sensitive that someone else's experience of you is unkind. In uh, some of the mental health and domestic violence work, they call that DARVO, D-A-R-V-O. I forget what the letters exactly stand for. I'm sure someone in this room knows. But basically, DARVO is that you deny the accusation, and then you flip victim and offender. 
you make yourself the victim publicly so that somebody else takes the blame for your harm. Usually so that the person you harm takes the blame for you harming them. That would be like stepping on someone's foot and responding to them saying, ow, with, well, you shouldn't have been there. Or, I didn't step on your foot, you stepped on your foot. That would be weird if it was stepping on your foot, but if you, for example, misgender someone and they say, hey, ow, and you say, I didn't do anything wrong, that's the same thing. But you've heard that over and over again. James Baldwin is quoted a couple of times as having said a variation on, you think your pain and your heartbreak are unprecedented in the history of the world. But then you read. It was books that taught me that the things that tormented me most were the very things that connected me with all the people who were alive, who had ever been alive. We can think of one another as stories that were being told in bits and pieces as interactions. We can respond differently if we think of being vulnerable as an opportunity to feel with someone rather than to reinstate the story we've already been thinking about ourselves. We can accidentally step on someone's foot and say, I am sorry. Let me learn how to pay more attention to my feet. We can step on someone's feelings and say, I am sorry. Let me learn to pay more attention to where I am moving my, and you will excuse this kind of woo-woo phrase, emotional body, right? We learn, some of us, to control where our physical bodies go, right? Some of us, more than others, if you are someone who is not read in the world as a man, try to walk down the street and not get out of anybody's way. You will run into a lot of men, physically, bodily, some of us are taught more than others to move our physical bodies out of the way, too. But some of us are taught to move our emotional bodies in so that nobody can touch them, so that we can avoid feeling vulnerable. While others of us are taught to let our emotional bodies be wherever they want because the consequences are somebody else's problem. Excuse the voices that I do while I say these things. I get invested in my own uh, distaste for these things. So in No Name in the Street, which is uh, one of my favorite full pieces of Baldwin's work, he wrote, truth is a two-edged sword, and if one is not willing to be pierced by that sword, then all of one's intellectual activity is a masturbatory delusion and a wicked, dangerous fraud. I'm going to read that again. <laughs> Truth is a two-edged sword. And if one is not willing to be pierced by that sword, then all of one's intellectual activity is a masturbatory delusion and a wicked, dangerous fraud. 
You, you can, can be, be as smart as you want. You can be as clever as you like. You can have written perfect things, insofar as perfect things are possible. But if the truth of other people can't get to you, if you cannot be changed by the truth that is found in the world, then all you are doing, and you're going to excuse my extension of this metaphor, all that you are doing is jacking yourself off. All that you are doing is making yourself feel good. Now, yourself deserves to feel good, and masturbation is good. But if all that you are ever doing is making yourself feel good, if your entire focus is on me, or us, or people like me, then what you are doing is a fraud. It is a wicked and dangerous fraud. You might be displaying truth, but you are lying to yourself fundamentally. It sucks to get stabbed through with the truth of somebody else. It is terrible to realize that you are late to the game. When I was in seminary, I had a boyfriend who was a dark-skinned black man about my age, who is about my height, is the softest, sweetest, most femme boy I have ever known that closely. And yet, when he walks around a convenience store in Los Angeles, he is followed. When he goes to go on dates, he is treated as though he is likely the aggressor. Because people read onto his black body an aggressiveness, like a fundamental aggressiveness, a fundamental relocation towards crime. The first time he called me and told me that the police had followed him to a subway platform, I was shocked. And then I felt stupid. Because of course, of course that is the world that we live in. I knew that up here. But getting it down here was harder. Having it in my body as truth was different. I could have responded to this person that I love with, well, what were you doing? A lot of people do. I didn't. I responded with, wow, that is messed up. Because, wow, that is messed up. But also because I knew enough to not let my emotional response get in the way of learning. To not let how scared I was of that I felt stupid make me act like a jerk. I think we all know that pattern of like, I'm scared, and so now I am defensive. Even with the people we love the most. Even with our community. 
The truth is a two-edged sword, and if you are not willing to be pierced by it, then you are committing a wicked and dangerous fraud. So we've gotten to vulnerability is fundamental to being a person and a necessary step for transformation. But Casey, you said, you said that it could be fun too. Yes, and I think more of you than not fundamentally know that it can be fun to be vulnerable to people because you have all experienced love. Love is fundamentally vulnerable. Love is fundamentally breaking apart. Later in No Name in the Street, Baldwin talks about how, well, actually earlier in No Name in the Street, Baldwin talks about how the work that he created there was changed by the fact that he fell in love with someone. And that love breaks you open. And that you can know the way in which we are all fundamentally naked to one another in those moments where you are literally naked with somebody else. Butler writes that being undone is visible not only in missing someone, but in the desire to be with people that leaves us undone when they're gone. It feels really good, actually, to be able to tell someone, I am having a hard time. It feels really good to be able to tell someone, I really like you. I was on the phone with one of my loves yesterday, lamenting the topic for today. I said, I have to talk to these people about vulnerability tomorrow, but I don't want to. I hate being vulnerable. I don't want to talk about that. And he said, and yet you continue to do it. And that is true. He and I have been dating for eight years now. And uh, the first time I told him that I loved him, we were in a hotel room in Southern California. And I said, um, I maybe kind of love you. I was so scared. And he said, I more than maybe kind of love you. And I was broken open. There was something possible then that could not have been possible before we made it real in words. We have since broken up and gotten back together. And upon getting back together, I was again very afraid of being in love. And he responded to my fear by showing up for me, by saying, okay, how can I be present in your life on a day-to-day -day basis so that you don't have to feel so afraid? How do we help you? We is him and Caitlin conspiring together to make me feel like a person who can be loved. Uh, how do we work together to remind you of how much you mean to us? What a thing to be loved so openly by a community that does extend beyond the two of them, but I'm just talking about the two of them right now. What a thing to get to name that it is scary to love and to have that answered softly. Now, we here 
are not in romantic relationship broadly, but we are in loving relationship. And love and romance are different things. And loving relationship says, you are not perfect, and I love you. You are not perfect, and you are going to mess up. And I love you enough that if you will stay in conversation open-heartedly, so will I. I love you enough that we can fix what's broken, that we can show up for one another, that we can help one another, that we can elicit the best in one another. And it can feel good. It can feel good instead of just scary. It can feel like freedom. It can feel like liberation. It can feel like that stuff that we want. We can be led to being together by love and desire. But we have to be willing to be open. We have to be willing to be pierced through by truth. We have to be willing to take those steps out into the scary places and find the things that are beautiful there. So that is our journey together to face what is real about being people, to be stabbed through by the truth of one another's lives, and to live into the possibilities that we desire, to follow our instincts towards love and beauty and community, and love those things more than we love believing that we are right. May it be so. Thank you, Gacy. Um, very moving and therefore difficult to say anything about it except to say thank you. Um, <clears throat> In a few minutes, we will have our community sharing time. You can write or chat or share in person about what resonated with you most in this platform. While we listen to today's musical response, you might prepare by reflecting on a personal experience or an activity at WES that the platform brings to mind. Uh, today's musical response is, you will be found by Ben Paycheck and uh, Justin Paul performed by Karen Scofielika with Perry on the piano and Jason Lang on guitar. Have you ever felt like nobody was there? Have you ever felt forgotten in the middle of nowhere? 
disappear Like you could fall and no one would hear Well, let that lovely feeling fall away Maybe there's a reason to believe you'll be okay Cause when you don't feel strong enough to stand You can reach, reach out your hand And someone will come running and take you home even when the dark comes crashing through when you need a friend to carry you and when you're broken on the ground you will be found so let the sun come streaming in because you'll reach up and you'll rise again Lift your head and look around, you will be found, you will be found, you will be found, you will be found, you will be found.
Thank you, Karen. Wow. Uh, this is the time that we add our own voices to the morning, sharing our reflections on the platform and what resonates from our own personal experience. For our online participants, I invite you to share in the Zoom chat or in the comments if you're watching the recording later. If you're here in person, you can come to the microphone here on the floor and share your brief comments so that others may also share. I'll start by reading some of the initial Zoom comments. And uh, here we have Trish saying, astoundingly good platform. And I'm touched to know that you dreaded the topic, Casey. Yes, we are undone and undoable. She also says, thank you, Karen, for sharing your voice. Cynthia says, uh, uh, another profound platform from KC. Thank you. Having disabilities make me feel so vulnerable because there are so many things I can't do for myself anymore, and I have to ask for help. I don't have family to help me, so I often ask strangers for help, and that is so scary. Just trying to find people to help clean my place and do my laundry has been such a nerve-wracking ordeal. It's so difficult to find the help I need, even when paying money for that help. Um, Lorraine says, so many neurons fired by this talk. I'll share only one. The Stanford experiment, a group of college men were divided up into two groups, one designated as prisoners and the other as guards. The division was purely arbitrary. Within a very short period of time, the guards started to get off on bossing the prisoners around and then started to abuse them and then started to exhibit sadistic and dangerous behaviors towards the prisoners. And they seemed to do it simply because they could. The experiment was ended early. When I think of this, I sigh and shake my head and say, people stink. Um, on, on, a more, on a different note, the response to Cynthia is from Laura. I have a house cleaner recommendation for you. <laughs> <laughs> which is fantastic. Uh, we can now, um, we have a long lineup. Please be short in your comments. Um, we have um, uh, Shayla first. Hello, Shayla, she, her, amazing platform. Um, it, is, it is really hard to ask for help and sometimes it's hard to ask for help because you know that um, it's hard to respond, yeah, sure, I'll drop everything and I'll bring you a home-cooked meal, Bonnie, in the nursing home. She could really use that. She's been in the nursing home for two and a half years now. Come on, people. Thank you. Uh, John Dakin, he, him. I'm going to deviate from for a sec from what I was going to say and can kind of be vulnerable in the moment. Um, I get to live in a way that I'm not feeling very vulnerable. And I kind of want to say to the, the guys in the line that I don't think it's cool for us to come up and talk about feeling vulnerable. So I'm not going to, and I hope you guys won't either. The morning after the 2016 election, um, I live and work very close to here. And I'll never forget where I was. I was walking down East-West Highway towards where it crosses Colesville Road, so near where there was a Starbucks and then a Pete's, and now it's going to be a Starbucks again. And I got a phone call on my emergent line, and it was uh, a client of mine, uh, I'm a therapist, uh, a client of mine, in the, uh, a trans man in the midst of transition, hyperventilating on the phone because of the, they just learned the outcome of the election, and they were scared to death. 
And as I reached the intersection and crossed, um, I'm only a few blocks from my office, I talked them down by reminding them that they live in the most liberal state, probably the most liberal state in the union, and this election will not immediately put them at risk. And I think they'd stop hyperventilating by the time I got to my office. I got situated. I was exhausted. I'd been knocking on doors in Pennsylvania the night before. And my first client of the day comes in with a MAGA hat on. An Orthodox Jew who, living in this county, had felt too vulnerable to tell anybody that he was a Trump supporter. And the outcome of the election led him to feel safe enough. So I'm not sure the rest of what I wanted to say, honestly. I'm, I just want to say that this is a complicated topic. And I know what I thought I was going to just to mention is that I work with really vulnerable people. And this message is really valuable. And thank you. Well, as Casey was talking about uh, why are men um, reserved, I was thinking for myself, and I came up with a third reason that is particularly true for me due to some early, some of my childhood experiences, really. And that is that when you are playing poker, you are supposed to have a poker face. And so you learn to have a poker face. So you're trying to prevent anyone else from reading what is going on. Now, for me, this happened at a fairly young age when I moved to New York City in the fourth grade. And all of a sudden, I was living in a heavily Jewish community. And in this heavily Jewish community, no one went to school on the Jewish holidays, except my parents said, you have to go to school so that the schools will collect uh, the, the payment that they get for you going to public school on that day. And uh, so I go, and they take all of the, uh, the 15 classes in my grade, combine them together into one classroom, and there are 10 kids there. <clears throat> and so what do we learn there? That's where I learned to play poker. And so, so learning it at that young of an age, and then I was fascinated with probability, and so that uh, then led me to quite a bit of uh, exploration of gambling and, and things like poker. I'm Perry Bider, he, him. Casey, thank you for a very thought-provoking talk. It occurs to me that in a certain respect, our community, the West community as a whole, is vulnerable right now um, financially. And we're certainly not unique in that, but um, I think I'm going to try to keep Casey's platform in mind uh, so that I don't get overly defensive uh, in responding to our current vulnerability. Uh, hello, everybody. Jeff here. Um, it's always been difficult for me to ask for help. Um, when I was a kid and I needed to ask my dad to help me if I needed something or if I wanted uh, money to, to get something I really wanted, it was not enough to be told no. I had to get the lecture as to why my request was so incredibly stupid, thoughtless, idiotic, unnecessary, 
And after a while, I just stopped asking just to get away from the lecture. Now, I've gotten better. I, I, I mean, but it still comes out. I've never been, I never feel comfortable with computers, though I have a laptop. Uh, but I've gotten to the point where instead of, of getting angry and frustrated, I, because the computer speaks to me in a language that I do not understand, uh, I can say to Betsy, I'm sorry, I don't understand this. I don't know how to do this. Can you help me? But the problems still come up. The old patterns still come up. I had to get a new mouse. And faced with the trepidation of going to the micro center in Rockville, which I did yesterday, and I go to where they have, they have more mice than a freaking country barn. I didn't know there were so many mice. What am I supposed to do? Here I am, I'm a 64-year-old guy, I'm pushing 65. All of the staff look like they're at high school. How am I supposed to ask from somebody who's younger than I am? I don't know how to do that. And you know they're gonna laugh at me and they're gonna say, okay, boomer, I'll help you. You should be able to figure this out by yourself, though. So I did get the mouse without anybody's help. I just got the cheapest one, figuring that's the basic model. And I've got the receipt. And if I have to go back, I'll take someone with me. Hello. <laughs> Judy, she, her, and um, my typical response to your talks, Casey, is, wow, because I love them. Um, and I was just uh, reminded of, and, and have now found the actual um, quote that I have misquoted from Harold and Maud many times, but um, it's where the character that Ruth Gordon plays says, well, no, uh, Bud Court says, well, you sure have a way with people. And her response is, well, they're my species. Hi, I'm Sue, she, her. And many things in the platform hit home for me. And like so many of us, I have a hard time asking for help. But one thing that really hit home was the, aren't you supposed to be smart? Because what we didn't know when I was growing up was that I was ADHD and have some learning disabilities. And I was supposedly very smart, but I couldn't do well in school. So it was always not living up to potential and my mother always wanting perfect report cards, which I was totally incapable of doing. And so that aren't you supposed to be smart hit home very hard for me. I'm Denise, she, her. I have been looking forward to this platform topic from Casey because we've explored it in my Thai group this month. And I still have a million thoughts rumbling around in my head about this, but what I came away with was no matter how much I hate my vulnerability and I think I should be stronger, I shouldn't be upset about this, it doesn't make it go away. It just makes it that much harder. And 
Yes, I have trouble being wrong. I have trouble asking for help. I want to hide when I feel scared. And those are all things that I need to work on. But I also think about what, how might I feel now if I had grown up in an environment where those vulnerabilities were embraced as being normal and met with care and love. And I think we all have the opportunity now that we're mindful to give that to each other as a community. Art Stevens here. Google has made me aware of how much conversation is based on I'm right, and it. If you, a lot of people don't want you to pull out a. They don't want the answer because then they have nothing to talk about at dinner. It's remarkable how much time people spend talking about who's right. Thank you for this talk, which stimulated a lot of things for me. Um, it reminded me in particular of an incident uh, that I heard about from a, an older friend who's had a very high-powered career. Um, one evening, he and his wife and several other couples were at dinner, and they were talking about options for old age, and they were talking about independent living and nursing care and assisted living. And his wife interjected, my husband's been in assisted living for 40 years and he, he doesn't even know it. <laughs> I want to riff on Peter's comment because I thought many things, but one of the things I was thinking about is there are situations where we, we really need to be, we need to have our poker face. And where showing vulnerability is in fact dangerous and not a good move. And so perhaps our, um, our opportunity is to be glad we learned poker and also then now we have an opportunity to learn and to help each other learn when we can drop the poker face. Thank you all. Thank you also to those who commented on Zoom. I just checked there aren't any more um, uh, uh, comments on Zoom. So let's move forward. Just as we share our perspectives in this community, so do we share our resources and gifts. Here at West, we split all undesignated gifts in the Sunday collection between our operating budget and a fund dedicated to justice and compassion. Um, HIPS HIPS promotes the health, rights, and dignity of individuals and communities impacted by sexual exchange and or drug use due to choice, coercion, or circumstance. HIPS provides compassionate harm reduction services, advocacy, and community engagement that is respectful, non-judgmental, and affirms and honors individual power and agency. They engage sex workers, drug users, and our communities in challenging structural barriers to health, safety, and prosperity. 
HIPS offer serine exchange, condom distribution, overdose prevention supplies, as well as mental health support, access to housing, and substance abuse treatment in a client-centered harm reduction way, harm reduction environment. Also, uh, yeah, so, so that's, that's who we are sharing the plate with this uh, week. Uh, let's all take a moment to prepare and respond to the invitation to generosity as we are able. Um, to donate online through the simple give system, just text an amount to 202-335-1885 or go to tiny.cc forward slash westgives or yet another alternative. Click on Give on our website, which is the ethicalsociety.org website. To donate in person today, just place cash or check in the basket at the back of the hall uh, on your way out, and you can always send a check by mail. Thank you for your generosity. We will now receive your gifts and the gift of music. Today it is the song So It Goes by Billy Joel, performed by Perry, voice and piano. So I would choose to be with you. 
Yes, if the choice were mine to make. But you can make decisions too. And you can have this heart to break. And so it goes, and so it goes, and you're the only one who knows. Thank you, Barry. And now for some announcements and some appreciation. Thank you so much to the many people who helped create this morning's program and time together. Senior leader Casey Slack and staff members Andara Miles, Robin Kravitz, Amanda Barangi, and Maceo Thomas, music coordinator Leah Morris, and our platform production team, the team, tech team members, slide artists, Zoom chat usher, and in-person greeters, whose names you'll see on the closing credits uh, slide. At the conclusion of the platform, please join us for social hour either here or uh, via Zoom. First, though, I want to mention a few things about upcoming in the life of our community. Remember that at 12.30 today, after platform, the CRC, the Community Relations Committee, will offer an in-person workshop on good apologizing. Vulnerable thing to do. How can we open-heartedly provide and receive apologies that help us heal? Let's uh, learn how to express regret, make amends for transgressions, and give each other the space needed to process difficulties. It's also to inform you about an upcoming protest at the Salvadorian Embassy on Wednesday, March 29th, from 2 to 1. The action marks the sixth anniversary of the ban on metallic mining and calls for the immediate release of friends of the West community from Santa Maria who were illegally arrested in January. For details, please contact uh, Peggy Gates, whose email address and phone numbers are in the members' online directory. As a reminder, the West Board and the Health, Safe, uh, Health and Safety team are collecting information uh, about members and visitors. They've sent out a brief survey and would be grateful for your anonymous re response by April the 3rd. You'll find the link in the chat. Uh, Wes at work, uh, the co-working space is available in the social hall every weekday from 9 to 5. Uh, so people who are working remotely but would like a break from looking at the same four walls at home. If you're available to take a turn volunteering as host for this, Please see news and notes for the link to the Sign Up Genius page. That's it for my announcements today. As always, you can find information about opportunities to connect in the Sunday links or news and notes emails and on the calendar page of Wes's website, ethicalsociety.org. Uh, thank you all for being part of the platform today, whether in person or via Zoom or watching later. I now invite you to join in singing our song for the month, uh, which is Stand By Me by King Lieber, Stola and Marino, performed uh, by us along with Judy and Julie with Perry Bider on piano.
very bad at least to find the right page. Mm. <laughs> oh, there it is. Okay. <laughs> before we leave if you're new to our community please send in an email to our membership coordinator Maceo Thomas at M-A-C-E-O-T uh, and uh, at ethicalsociety.org and introduce yourself <clears throat> for those who wish to socialize online to reach uh, virtual coffee hour point your browser to tiny.cc forward slash west coffee hour and now I invite you to join me in our closing words for the month. Let us go into the week with compassion, understanding, and commitment, being brave and compassionate around our vulnerability, and dedicating ourselves to care for the most vulnerable in our world. And again, thank you for joining today's platform. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.